Hello. Welcome to release. Welcome to your nightmare. Yes. <laughs> it's been a minute. I've had uh-huh. COVID. The uh, holidays happened. Plans. Oh, boy. We had plans to do all this recording and making stuff in Arizona. When we we're both going to be there. And that could not happen. That's right. I know. It's ruining everything. But we're back with Hal Hartley, which I think is pretty exciting. Yeah. And it's a little end of the world, you know, existential crisis. So I think it's suitable for the moment. Yeah, I really loved it. I loved what I watched. Hell yeah. And I think we so watched good. the same <clears throat> things, right? The Unbelievable Truth and Trust. Yeah, which are part of the Long Island trilogy, which also includes a movie called Simple Man. Yeah. But I had no idea what to expect, and I didn't, I never preview anything before I watch it. Even if I end up seeing a trailer for something that's going to come out, I tend to limit how many times I watch it because I really just hate how much a trailer can just be like a summarization of a movie it gives they give away too much i think i feel like they either give away too much or they set the tone in a way that like doesn't allow for you to have your own feelings yeah and especially if it's like misleading or it's too leading yeah i guess it's it's worse when it's like some shitty horror movie and it's like, well, I just saw like every death happen in this one yeah, trailer. Do they give away like all the worst of it, like all the scary. Yeah, bits? kind of. Yeah. Okay. So it's like, well, this is going to be a shitty movie anyway. I could fill in all of these blanks and not even have to see it. Damn. Anyway, I, well, I steer clear of trailers and I don't really like spoilers so if you're listening to this show and you don't like spoilers too bad because <laughs> we do it well, all the time yeah oh sure well it's like for me how Hartley was something that I saw in high school I saw the unbelievable truth and then Metrograph was playing a bunch of Hal Hartley movies and having like a retrospective where he like came and talked. Uh huh. And so I went with my friend Brianna, who I think is more of like a Hal Hartley stan than I am because I just really only knew that one. And I knew Adrian Shelley and her face. Yeah. And like wanting to be her. Uh huh. Um, but I hadn't seen trust, which is odd because it's like, it's a little bit the same film. It's like, the same exploration of similar stuff, which I found really fun as a double feature to like see how Hartley like took on some similar themes from like a different angle. But I loved with it the so same much. Setting, this is a great double feature. Yeah, for sure. It's like I love a trilogy, and I love mm-hmm. when you can see uh, a filmmaker's hand in their films. Uh, like it's mm-hmm. just like so very obvious. And, you know, I learned in art school, you know, from actually from Jennifer Reeder, um, who is a director. um, One of her bits of advice was like, just wear your ideas the fuck out. You know, like if you're obsessed with something, then make work about it until you're not obsessed with it anymore. And I kind of felt like that was definitely a thing that was happening with at least those this double feature the unbelievable truth and trust uh yeah and i (laughs) yeah adrian shelley she was almost the same character but i didn't think i was watching i yeah i didn't feel like i was watching the same movies well, in The Unbelievable Truth, she feels like a pessimist. And in Trust, she feels like an optimist. Yeah. Which is interesting. But it's like in both cases, she's kind of like the one that's interested in like 
becoming enlightened, you know, like she's very curious. Yeah. And I almost wonder, like, having seen Hal Hartley talk, like his films are like sort of doomsday, bleak, suburban existence. Yeah. He's like a very affable, almost like I wouldn't call him sunny, but he's like very like sweet. And I see him almost as like Adrian Shelley. Yeah. More than these like brooding, more two-dimensional sort of criminal anti-hero dudes, babes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, I it reminded me of um the uh, this Finnish director, um Aki Kirasmakis who did the proletariat trilogy. Uh, he's Finnish and did these movies like in the late eighties and 1990 um, shadows okay. in paradise, Ariel and the match factory girl. And they are very working class, very suburban, mm. but in Helsinki. And um, it, it just it just had a very similar tone and also like that kind of sweetness but also bleak you know yeah so i actually started rewatching shadows in paradise today and it's oh cool i'm going to have to check that out <laughs> yeah you have to you have to watch them now um because i think that they're they're totally related to these hal hartley movies at least yeah, and having just spent some time in the suburbs and being a child of the suburbs, I relate to this bleakness. Like, feeling trapped in the suburbs is, like, such a real feeling for me. And I know that, like, my parents are sort of irritated by my disdain for it. Yeah. But it is, like, as a teenager growing up where, like, you can't really get anywhere, you feel stuck around like sameness and people that don't like their lives it's like a certain kind of yeah it will make you have existential dread because you're just like is this life like how can it be yeah but it was so many people's a certain generation their dream was to like for my parents like the comfort of the suburbs is like not something to look down your nose at and not that i'm looking down my nose i just literally feel uncomfortable yeah I mean, what are you gonna go? But what are you gonna do? Go, like, go look at go look so at the many alley. Weird walks. Yeah, weird walk. Weird walks where people are like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and there are paths, but still, you're like, I mean, they're like, I have a treadmill in here you can use if you want. You don't have yeah, to like walk outside. Days. Oh my god. Yeah, it's winter it's, in the yeah. desert. It's like the most beautiful time to be in the desert. Get out and get some fresh air. And they do get out, but they go to like a mountain. They go to these like predetermined destinations for outdoor activity. Oh. And they're just like not mm. on the street. Yeah. And I mean the world is for walking. Other. God. I know. I love walking in the world. It's like one of my yeah. simple pleasures. Yeah. Okay, so before we get into like these movies specifically, can yes. I tell you more about Hal Hartley? Yeah, go for it. Okay. If you must. Okay. So he was <laughs> born in Long Island, New York. Um, and then many of his films are set there, including the two we're going to talk specifically about today. Um, in 1980, he began film school at the State University of New York at Purchase. Uh, here he met many of the actors, collaborators, and crew that would, like, he would work with throughout his career. So that includes uh, cinematographer Michael Spiller, who he's, like, always working with these two films, for sure. And uh, the actor that would star in The Unbelievable Truth, his first film, who's Robert Burke, who I have a high-key crush on. (laughs) And I was like, what, what did he do after this? I thought maybe it was some cool shit, but I think what I remember him from is he was like the dad, one of the dads on Gossip Girl. Like he ended up doing oh. like a lot of like TV acting. Yeah. Like S- I'm sure he's on an episode of SVU. Right. Like, he's like that guy. Uh-huh. But I was like, man, he has such a cool face. He should have been like a full blown character actor. Yeah. But he kind of is it. But 
super hot and brooding. Just my type and the unbelievable truth. Um, so in 1988 is when they began making the unbelievable truth. Um, so we have Burke as a stoic antihero, this mechanic with a supposedly murderous past who's just out of the clink. Um, and Adrian Shelley is cast as Audrey. So this is totally by chance. They were looking for their leading role, which is she's, you know, set to go to Harvard, this character, and she's hit sort of like a doom and gloom period of her life where she's obsessed with nuclear warfare. Uh And that seems to be like something that's happened just before the film begins, which I think is so cool because it's like we don't know what turned her this way and it doesn't really matter but she does seem to have like a past where she was maybe like a sunnier character that dressed differently and was into this boyfriend she had at the beginning of the film who's like sort of a finance obsessed like 80s stereotype yeah like buy sell buy sell that that idea of nuclear war was just very topical in the late 80s hell yeah you know oh there's a quote of where she says, which I thought this was so cool, where she's like, uh, the human race has never invented something that they haven't used. And that is like, yeah, duh. Yeah. I'd be scared. That's right. I mean, now we're scared of so many things. But I've, I've used a spork. What's that? I've used a spork. We've invented oh, yeah. that. The old spoon Hell fork. yeah. I mean, I, that's pretty brilliant. <laughs> but so the producer found this headshot of her. So she had like dropped out of school in the Adrian Shelley documentary. They talk about this period. She like was really nervous to tell her mom that she was dropping out of school to become an actress, but she like just knew it. And yeah. so she like was very thorough in like sending her sh- headshot like to every producer, including like, I can't imagine Hal Hartley, uh, the producer he was working with was like highfalutin in any way, but like he had this headshot and they saw her photo and Hal Hartley was like, Ooh, I mean, she's very interesting looking. Yeah. There was like a problem in that she's supposed to like become her job becomes to be like a model. And Adrian Shelley is like five one, but yeah. they were like, fuck it. We can sell this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. I'll talk about that kind of thing later actually yeah okay yeah like she's very striking so like you could see it Mm -hmm. but um so they find this headshot and they cast her in this role they shoot the film in less than two weeks in hartley's hometown lindenhurst um he says of working with adrian gratitude is the feeling i most remember in regard to adrian when making the unbelievable truth she just understood the character perfectly so this is like him out of the gate um yeah and she becomes a breakout star. Uh, they take it to Sundance. And, like, Sundance is just gaining steam. Like, the year before this is when Miramax had acquired Steven Soderbergh's Sex, Lies, and Videotape at Sundance um, and made that into, like, a huge movie. So people are beginning to, like, like Sundance is buzzy. Right. This film Festival gets picked circuit. up by Miramax. Yeah. But before this, it's like it wasn't the thing. Right at all so it's like he kind of hits a moment right here and adrian shelley kind of goes along for the ride but like there is a precedent of like this indie boom starting to happen with like spike lee and david lynch and the cohen brothers yeah but like the indie like film darlings like these female actresses like say parker posey mm-hmm. who hartley will work a lot with later yeah um and like chloe sevigny and like these like indie film yeah princess predecessors like whatever like there wasn't really like a thing for that so like adrian shelley kind of she's going to make trust with him but then she's gonna hit like a weird moment of them like trying to box her in as like this babe they talk about in the documentary it's like very like boring roles where she's just like a sex pot she's not like at all cerebral like she was in hal hartley's movies or like the best friend yeah, it's like they just are like, okay, red hair, like boobs out. Like, it's right. very weird that they would take her from here where like agents were like, holy shit. And like she was like on the cover of 
Rolling Stone with like one of the dudes from um, the Lemonheads. Like, but then like they would like barely talk about her inside. Like she did become like a model, like she was in The Unbelievable Truth, even though it's like she had been noticed for being an actress. But yeah. It's, like they just didn't know what to do with her with like right. this type of mm-hmm. woman. But right. They knew it's what like, to do well, how do we make? How do we turn? This how do we turn her into a commodity? Right. Which now is like now it's like um now it's like that's kind of how you work as a respected actor. It's like like Anne Hathaway. You know? It's like she was like Disney chick doing like Disney movies and then she was doing like indie movies, you know, like Rachel getting married or whatever, and then Mm -hmm. Now, you know, and then she was, you know, in that Batman movie. So it's like now there's just a formula to all of it. You know, it's like, oh, let's just fill out this, you know, like flesh out this resume. Got to get some some indie under my belt here. Yeah, they either sort of like like I'm thinking of like Jennifer Lawrence. It's like she did Winter's Bone and then she became like, oh, she's such a good actress. And then she could do like you know, good, like, quote-unquote good movies and then, like, franchisee right. movies. And it's, like, she would make it sort of even. Or you can, like, go the route of, like, Parker Posey where you're just, like, I just make, like, mostly independent movies. And I yeah, but directors yeah. that I like. Yeah, but, I mean, Parker Posey was, like, in that world while it was happening still. You right. know? But, like, Scarlett Johansson. Shelley, it's, like, a timing thing. Right, exactly. I just it's think, like, like she it's... couldn't do either avenue. Right, but also she it was at the very she was at the very the very beginning of that whole idea, you know, of like yeah. transitioning into like I'm Scarlett Johansson and now I'm just gonna join the Marvel universe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting to watch that documentary because then it seems like she was like okay I'm just gonna make my own shit which did seem like she got a good education from Hal Hartley and how to like be kind but uncompromising like there's this quote she has where it's like Hal taught me more than anything else is not to be timid about going after what it is that you want what it is that you are trying to achieve he's very soft spoken but when he's on set it's his set nothing is an accident so it's like mm-hmm. I get that from like even you know seeing seeing him do this Q&A it's like to be uncompromising like for instance he owns all of the rights to all of his films which is like basically unheard of right totally and so he can like in perpetuity like when I you know if you rent a Hal Hartley movie that's like going into his pocket like that doesn't fucking happen but it's like he has had a smaller career but it's all his own and it's pretty yeah yeah. What more could you want? Yeah. That's like, that's that's a person who knows how to think as 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 an artist, rather than a person yeah. who makes movies. You know, like he's not in it to win it. You know, he just wants. It, I mean, it, I'm just assuming. He. It sounds like that mentality is like, you know, I I have to do this. Mm-hmm. This is a part of my oh, life, yeah. and I have to do this. It's not whether or not, you know, the studio is going to green light this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's a cool one because I can't think of many other directors that have kind of like done things exactly their own way. It's like, yeah, we don't, people don't know his name in the way that they would know. Some, like Quentin like Tarantino. He also, like, I don't think his, like, style translated. I don't know if he tried, but I don't know how it would necessarily translate to, like, bigger budget movies. Like, it there's not an obvious, like, oh, if we, like, amp this up and we add effects here, or we, mm-hmm. you know, take these characters and put them in this setting. It's, like, there's not really obvious ways to sort of exploit him and make it, like, big well, budget. Well, yeah, also because he, write, he, he writes everything, too. And his yeah. dialogue is is like one of the best parts of oh his my God. movies. Yes. You know, like I will never um, not compare um, like screenwriting to um, 
stage plays. Mm-hmm. It's it's like like having like worked in like my experience working in theater, like has opened my mind to a new level of like suspending disbelief, like the fact that she that that her care that adrian shelley's character is only five one and she's supposed to be a model it's like yeah okay i mean this is this is just a play you know like all of this can happen because these people are standing in for you know the real people of the world and the dialogue is so like it's just all monologues there's so many monologues and they're just delivered so well by everybody in these movies um, that like, you know, nobody talks like that in real life, but they do talk like that right. in, <clears throat> on stages. So it always brings me oh, back true. to that. You know, I love it too. Yeah. You know, I, I love this, like, you know, I used to be very into this idea of like, you know, well, if I made a movie, I would want it to make, I would want it, I would want it to feel as real as possible. But really like now I just love the idea of like pure fiction you know and like totally taking us into a alternate universe you know where people do talk like that you know i love that scene between um your babe and edie falco Mm -hmm. where they're sitting in the bar and they just repeat the scene three times and it's like it's so good. That kind of thing happens, like that sort of roundabout speech happens, but they don't change their inflection. Like they barely change their inflection for for each time they say it. So it's literally almost like a broken record, but I I love it. I love it so much. Yes, he's making such cool choices and it's like he was a young dude. I don't know. It's like sometimes I like maybe as I get older, uh, have sort of like older. a, uh, for like youth content, but it's like, this feels very youthful, but in a way that's like so <laughs> real and to have like, so be so fully formed uh-huh. for your first movie. Cause that's in the unbelievable truth. And he works with Edie Falco a lot and she plays the same character in both these movies, yeah. which I love. Like essentially uh, she's the same and she's not our Edie Falco that we know now. She's like a gum chewing like kind of promiscuous like lackadaisical like seductress well she's kind of like she's like she could be a version of carmella from the sopranos but like the younger version yeah wayward like she has no vision (laughs) Uh, yeah she kind of is a dipshit not really a dipshit that's the wrong word but like yeah wayward or just not no she's one of those people that is like this is what it is this is the suburbs this is where we are this is where we live this is where we're stuck right like let's make the most of it by like fucking the guy that we can get us like slightly ahead yeah short-sighted yeah short-sighted amazing very short-sighted I love oh her. my god, she's so good. And she is like so the Edie Falco character in Trust is Adrian Shelley's sister. Yeah. And she's sweeter than the like sort of vindictive Edie Falco in The Unbelievable Truth that's like Right. She's like a gossip and she like is right. loving for other people to fail or like get uh-huh. their hearts broken or whatever. And that's the other cool thing is that like she barely she she's costumed exactly the same in both of those movies. Yeah. She does not look different at all and she just plays it two separate ways. Yeah, I love the costuming in both of these movies. Yeah. Uh there's like an evolution depending on like what the character like we see Adrian Shelley in all black and the unbelievable truth because she's all gloomy, but it's not like and she, like, has the same heels later. It's like, oh, she's unchanged. She's going to have these oh, heels. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Like, in a new setting. And in Trust, she's wearing those, like, white leggings with, like, Timberlands. But, like, yeah. by the time she gets to that point, she's wearing dresses. Like, in the beginning, she's all, like, sort of late 80s, neon. And then when she's, like, you know, becoming more, like, examining her life a bit more alongside this brooding dude, she's, like, wearing, like little dresses but with these like white leggings and 
like no, Timberlands, like the oddest outfits. She's not wearing dresses. She just wears the same dress throughout the rest the of the same movie. Same dress. As soon as she puts it on, it's very much like a cartoon character. It like very much describes her. And as a matter of fact, I guess I didn't pay close enough attention, but I think everybody just ends up wearing the same exact thing. Well, I was Even thinking like as specifically of Edie pass. Falco's coat. Yeah. Isn't it like, like isn't it that metallic it, puffy yeah, coat? Yeah, metallic puffy coat. And before we even meet her, the metallic puffy coat is like on the coat rack in the back of a shot. And I was oh. like, whose coat is that? Like, is that Adrian <laughs> Shelley character? Yeah. And like, you are like neon. You're, and then it's you're like, always no. shopping. Always. <laughs> looking at looking uh, at clothes on the rack in movies. How much is that? I mean, Can I buy? I was that? just like, whose is that? And, like, when it's hers, I'm like, oh, I know this. It's like, Edie Falco doesn't have a lot of money. Her character doesn't have a lot of money, but, like, she wanted a standout coat. So she, oh, yeah. like, saves some money, and she's going to wear the shit out of this metallic coat, even when it makes no sense. Yeah. Because that's her coat, and that's, like, who she is. <laughs> that's and then coat. people can, like, notice her from across the bar and be like, oh, did Edie Falco just walk in? Or whatever her character's name is, I forget. So, yeah, uh, he's doing a lot of work. There's like a moment in now we're jumping around so much, but there's a moment in the unbelievable truth where Adrian Shelley's character goes over to like get brooding dude to like finally consummate yeah. their relationship after all of this. Like, let's let's weird flirting. Let's summarize the plots for these folks. OK, let me just finish now I'm that just we're a half hour things. in. I know. So, like, I'm just going to say, uh, Trust was made for under a million dollars also. No one necessarily wanted it, but they took it to TIFF and it got noticed. Um, so that's like how this movie like entered the world. Um, so it's not like he like went to Sundance and then was like a total darling and like just had his career made. But he like worked steadily after this, still working. Right. Owns all the rights to his movies, doing great. But especially these two movies, but like in the rest of his repertoire also there is this like existential dread thing happening and he loves like a wise beyond their years heroine with like you know some simmering idealism yeah later like he does get like a little bit more into like male driven work which is cool too but i prefer his adrian shelley fronted films yeah um to me he's kind of like there is I can see this, like, I couldn't find it anywhere, anyone comparing him to, like, John Hughes. But, like, I feel like this is, like, the darker side of that, like, teen yeah. drama. Yeah, and I suppose you could sort of loosely put it on the same plane as, like, uh, Richard Linklater, you know? Of what? Like, Rich, like, like Dazed and Confused. Not really, but, like, same world of, like, you know, exploration of teen. Yeah. Indie indie exploration of teens. Yeah. Yeah, He so he says that he was most inspired by 1980s Godard, Howard mm -hmm. Hawks, and Woody Allen, which the Woody Allen thing, I'm like, I could totally see this, like, the Godard is, like, all the, like, critique on capitalism we're all going to hell in a handbasket thing that like mm -hmm. Godard's are doing in the 70s and 80s right and then Woody Allen's like uh dialogue yeah it's like that's kind of where he's coming from mm -hmm. I also like think that his uh like he uses these sort of like some like somber like chimes this like music that's like it's like these somber chimes. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I do remember really like loving the scores, but I don't remember them. Yeah, it's not like he has any like needle drops or like uh, music music. It's like right. there will be these sort of like sad chimes or something. Yeah. And I love it, but it is almost like, to me, it sounded kind of like a sad kid's toy. And I was like, oh, okay, like, mm -hmm. this is such a choice to be, like, a teen angst movie to sound like 
some kind of uh, kids' toy that's like losing, like running out of batteries or something. Yeah. It was cool. Uh, in these two movies, we can talk about his like obsession with trust. He calls one of the movies that, but like they both have like such an exploration of trust where like, I'm like, did yeah. Hal Hartley just like not trust anything? Mm. He was like really worried about like who can you trust? Like, can you trust the world we live in? Can you trust, you know, each other? Like, it's it's sweet in a way because it's like, nope, of course not. Like, you're gonna find that out. Work like working in the mu- movie business or whatever. Sweet Hal Hartley. Sweet Hal Hartley. Uh, yeah. there's also, they also have, um, I don't know. I was, I was fully engaged, fully engaged throughout both of these movies. They just have such a great structure. The storytelling mm-hmm. is like pretty perfect. You know, it's like, yeah. they don't really drag at all. Like the characters are super interesting and the acting is amazing. Yeah, he picked good people to work with. You can tell that. Yeah. He had a good instincts for that and probably was like you know, made a very comfortable set to work on. I mean, I think that's easier to do if you have smaller productions, right. for sure. Less people breathing Scaling down your neck. That would be difficult. Um I guess like I'll briefly everyone should watch this Adrian Shelley documentary, but yeah. She had a totally tragic end. And Pointlessly tragic. God, so annoying. It, ugh. This documentary, the end, I won't say what happens, but it's like, it is brutal. And it focuses on Adrian Shelley. So she was tragically killed by someone that was um, like trying to burglarize her building or he's just like yeah like a thief i think he was a construction and she confronted was, I, him i think he was a construction he was doing some construction in the building yeah so he had decided he owed um like he i forget where he was from but he had immigrated to uh new york and he owed thirteen thousand mm. dollars um so he had started robbing these like it was her office um, but he had started okay. robbing in that building where he was doing construction okay. and she confronted him cause she was there. Right. And he says he blacked out and he doesn't remember necessarily what happened, but she said she had told him she was going to call the police and then he just like flipped out and he thought, she, uh, it's so gruesome, but he had thought that she was dead, that he had like attacked her till she mm-hmm. was dead and he was going to make it look like she had killed herself she wasn't actually dead at the time that he like oh okay made it look like she had hung herself mm-hmm. and so she must have died thereafter and like her husband was just like she did not kill herself like right. no way and it eventually came out and he's i mean her husband goes and talks to the dude in prison yeah in the documentary mm-hmm. and it i kind of wish i hadn't seen that in a way because mm-hmm. it was really like brutal yeah it's like think you do I have can... empathy for this dude like, sure it's a shitty circumstance but obviously now this wife mother you know artist is dead yeah so senselessly mm-hmm. have you uh, seen sucks but what's Wait... that have you seen waitress I have not. So that's yeah. I mean, yeah, she I, made I meant to watch that before that this. Life. Yeah, that it, it came out like posthumously, like right her, after. Yeah, like writing and directing debut. She was waiting to hear from Sundance, and then like she died, and the movie got into Sundance, and then became like this like musical that's like such a sensation, also. Yeah. And she didn't get to see any of that happen. Right. Ugh, it's brutal. It looks good from what I saw. Mm-hmm. It, it's a lot of it is like pushed, like put in the documentary, and I'm like, oh, this is like some almost. I was like, is this some Steel Magnolia shit? Which I love Steel Magnolias. You love some Steel like Magnolia that. shit. 
I love it. It's my go-to. <laughs> I haven't like, seen it in so Cry long. it out. Yeah. Cry it out movie. Like, just yeah. watch this. Mm-hmm. Brown football helmet. I love the South. So, yeah, that's my Hal Hartley, and I figured I had to put some Adrian Shelley in there, but she deserves. Oh, yeah. She's... I'll watch the full documentary. Or at least her feature film. I want to watch Waitress. I have it here waiting for me to pop it in. Oh, yeah. Let's. I'm going to watch it too. Yeah. We'll talk about it at the end of the episode coming up. You got to watch the the Aki Kurosmaki. The what? The Finnish director. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I will for sure. Because you'll, I think you'll really enjoy them. They are actually more like um, centered on the male character, so maybe that will could prepare you for um, the Hal Hartley male centered stuff. Because mm. these were made actually like 1986, 1988, and 1990, so basically the same time as these Hal Hartley films. Okay. Yeah. Huh. That's so interesting when things kind of feel, you know. Yeah, it reminds like, like consciousness. Yeah, it reminded me of it I was reminded of them immediately. Mm. So should we talk about the unbelievable truth specifically? Sure, if you want to. I so mean So that's the first one. I mean, we could said. just I mean, we, we could I mean, we don't I don't think we had we need to go into like massive detail i we could just give no. the general plot people should watch them and we'll just uh you know so the release date was may 15th 1989 at the Cannes film market and then you know actually released july 20th 1990 um and like we've said adrian shelley stars as audrey and then um what is dude's name? Um, Robert Burke, my love. Is... His name is Josh, I think. Oh, yeah, because he has it embroidered on his shirt. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and he just gets out of prison. And we don't know why. I love the way that they, like, like clue us into, like, the story. And it is, like... Yeah. Through, like, people talking about it around town. And, like, they all have, like, details... Off. yeah yeah totally yeah like everybody's got their it's like telephone it's like everybody's got their own version yeah. of it yeah and that version's even wrong we find out right at the end which is like a cool twist yeah but yeah he ends up he's a mechanic that doesn't drive right uh, that's right <laughs> and he gets a job as like he's apparently like a brilliant mechanic, which Hal Hartley loves, like a highly skilled dude that like no one really wants to fuck with, you uh-huh. know, for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But they have skills. Yeah, and he becomes employed so, by Adrian Shelley's character's father, Audrey's father. I love her dad, and the dad is great, he's and I so love. Weird. Yeah, yeah. He has two iconic looks. One, at his birthday party, he has, like, a happy birthday hat on. His yes. bald head. Uh-huh. And it's, like, Everybody's cocked to the them. side. Yeah. And he looks absurd. And yeah. then later on, he's, like, under a red and white umbrella, like, mm-hmm. chief and cigs, and, like, maybe drinking a Coke or something. He yeah. looks absurd. Yeah. With, like, he's his, like, great. weirdo little sneakers, like a little kid. He's like somebody that like in in any other movie you would just want to hate their fucking guts but like in this movie he's like he's he's more fleshed out so he's more nuanced and he's got there's there's more to him as like a dad character that's not just like I'm a jerk ass dad. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's like a And that's all of the he characters. He's a jerk. Yeah, yeah, I feel like The Unbelievable Truth is a more successful movie than Trust. Okay. I'm I liked Trust more. More and more. Really? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe I have, like, I don't know. I 
I like them both a Me lot. too. Yeah. Trust, I feel like they could have trimmed. And I found the, like, male lead less compelling in Trust mm-hmm. somehow. Maybe it's just, like, the scenes Martin aren't Donovan. as much, aren't as enjoyable to me. Maybe because yeah. it's a, a little bit darker or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So then in both of these movies, Adrian Shelley's characters just becomes enamored of the bad guy, the bad boy, the bad kid. Here she's, like, outright enamored. The In Trust, I feel like she likes him, but it's, like, they're barely... They're hardly lovers, you know, like, yeah, they have like a couple kisses. He really right. wants to take care of her mm-hmm. to like almost like fulfill some like need for family that he doesn't have. Like, well, I just I love how all of that is like. They they don't, they don't even like like in the dialogue, it's like, man, if everybody was just as honest as all of the characters in a Hal Hartley movie, like how much easier would life be? They're just like blunt and they just say it like it is in these really great monologues, you know? Um, but also I be like that. Yeah. Do 2022, it. 2022. I'm going to be earnest and blunt. Yeah, and totally. Speak in monologue. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Yeah. You're just going to write yourself a monologue every day and go out and find someone to say it to. Um, no, I'm going to, Single but, out people in my life that I need to say things to and write oh, a monologue. Okay. okay. Or make While a movie wearing about a shirt it. that says youth content on it. Uh, um Yeah. The but trust is um is the the mother is the antagonist. Oh wearing yeah. unbelievable I hate her. Oh, I know. I hate her, but I love her. It's the same thing where yeah. it's just like, it's yeah. just, it's like, it's, it's so nuanced. It's like, God, like you get to see people for all of who they are in these movies. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I guess trust is more uncomfortable for me. The unbelievable mm-hmm. truth is like, we have a happy ending yeah. It's a little like, you know, uh, I don't know, like the style is a little bit less bleak. I mean, I like both these movies and I'll like watch Adrian Shelley all day. Yeah. And they're, they're, it's cool. Like, I, if I, like, I could see a world where someone saw The Unbelievable Truth and then saw the script for Trust and was like, you can't make the same movie, you yeah. know? But it's mm. like, they're not the same movie. Mm-mm. They're like, they're approaching similar themes from like another angle because there's only so much you can do in one movie. Yeah. So I think it's cool to yeah. like that. There's even to like make a, both of these. There's even like a, 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 a cool all of a sudden we're like in a little sleuth private detective movie in trust moment. Oh yeah. Oh, that is cool. I did yeah. like that. I was like, Oh my God, this is so fucking fun. Like now she's trying so to fig- like trying to figure out a who done it, a little you side plot who done it. The beginning of trust is so strong. I think mm-hmm. there it sags in the middle. It does that like mid film mm. sag that is so often does with a two hour movie. Sags <laughs> where in it's the middle. like sags in the middle. <laughs> the unbelievable think, truth so, has no sag. Yeah. No sag. Yeah, a little saggy diaper. Yeah. The unbelievable truth is also an hour and a half. So it's like yeah. there could have been some fat, like show like one or two scenes instead of like all of the scenes of um, what's his face? Martin Donovan's character like at his mm-hmm. job, at the repairing computer job, the computer job. Sure. It's like we don't yeah. need to see this much of this. Like we right. get it. Like he is like yeah. he has principles that he is mm-hmm. going to stick by even though he's like sort of a violent asshole. Yeah. Violent you know? asshole. It's like it needed a little bit of editing, but it's like yeah, in the beginning of trust or beginning ish when, you know, her douchebag football yeah, player dude says, "I'm not having that baby. Like I'm going to college cuz she's pregnant." 
Yeah. There's like so much good shit. Like the nurse at the abortion clinic is amazing. She like uh-huh. pours her a drink. I love <laughs> like, that. Drink I love that. in the office. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. And like in a classic like nurse's uniform with the little like paper hat. Like yeah, perfect. totally. And then like her going to the convenience store and trying to buy a six pack and then getting assaulted that and crazy meeting the lady outside yeah that wants just wants a baby and then the baby goes missing amazing yeah and that crazy that mom whose baby it was that chick oh my god i loved her <laughs> she's so good she's like she comes out and she's like god damn it like like her baby getting kidnapped was just another thing today god damn it now my baby's uh. missing so good that just topped it for her yeah i mean i wish that i was watching this stuff when i was a teenager you know i was watching yeah uh quentin tarantino which is you know fine you know but i i feel like because quentin tarantino was actually straddling that like indie mainstream fence that like I just sort of ended up, um, you know, watching a lot more mainstream stuff, which is neither here nor there. But well, it's easier to get your hands on now. It's like the world is at our fingertips, but like, yeah, wasn't always right. But now I I am happy to know punk VHS on repeat. Yeah, as a teen. Yeah, that was like. (laughs) <laughs> Which I only just saw that within the last couple of years. That's a great movie, too. Oh, that and, like, Mallrats was one. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I, I love Mallrats. It was, like, that kind of shit. So it was, yeah. there was stuff that I had, but it wasn't, like, I could just go on the internet and be like, oh, if you like how Hartley, you'll like blah, blah, blah. Or, like, oh, you've heard of Quentin Tarantino? At Cannes this year, it was also right. Steven Soderbergh, and he made this movie. And you know, like, right. it's not now. It's all Shannon Doherty delivers a fantastic monologue. You sh- maybe you should relook this up at the very beginning yeah. of Mallrats. Yeah. Okay. When she's like <clears throat> preparing herself to crawl out of the basement window. Okay. She's like oh, okay. talk she's like talking to him about why they're breaking up. Yeah. And she just oh, delivers see, I this love incredible. A I want life to be more like this. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Whoever you're talking more to is like, okay, well listen, I know that we're like in the grocery store, but like I gotta go. You're like just <laughs> delivering this monologue to them like next to the green peppers. Hell yeah. <laughs> Oh, I wrote down a lot of quotes from both these movies. I'm not going to hit all of them. Every single... No, just kidding. What was like the most standout moment for you from each? Okay. Uh, Let me see if I can remember. Um, Well, I really did like the super sleuth stuff. I thought it was like a weird little like it didn't it didn't feel disjointed to me. It just felt like another activity that these people were doing. Mm-hmm. So I was into the um, trying to solve the whodunit um, yeah. in trust. And then in honestly, I love the intro on Audrey when she wakes mm. up. It's just so good. It it really is just like, it kind of summarizes her. You're kind of just yeah, like, all right, she wakes up and she sort of pantomimes a bomb dropping and makes yeah. like a bomb exploding noise. And that's how she wakes up. That's the first thing we see her do. Yeah. So you go. What were your favorite okay. moments? You got, you got, you got the notes. Okay, I'll go. Um, oh, I do have notes. Uh, hmm, oh, my favorite the unbelievable truth moment is that choice of like what she wears when she goes over to Josh's house. 
and she like is getting ready in the in his the window putting lipstick on and she like twists her ankle and like falls over and so she draws oh, like a yes. perfect straight line yes across yes her yes cheek. that's so good and it's so it's good it's fucking perfect and like who thinks of that but it was like perfect because it's like that moment when you know like yeah okay i might like go and like actually like consummate this like flirtation that i've been having yeah like that like electricity is like ooh, i could like feel it because of that line on her face and it's like he's not gonna tell her because like that's who he is he's right not gonna be like oh you got something and it's like per- a perfect yeah moment. so that's definitely my unbelievable truth moment yeah um i, well, I will I, just throw back i will just hit the ball back to my uh, yes i did love that scene between edie falco and uh josh would they oh, where they yeah. repeat where they repeat those lines that that was probably one of the most standout parts for me but anyway yeah. go on trust yeah and then i get hmm and trust god it's so literal but i do like that whole like when he, she like does that like sudden trust fall into his arms yeah like i like that whole Mm-hmm. scene to me yeah. he seemed softer in that scene where i got why she would like be attracted to him yeah because he is like vulnerable where he's like thinking through her being able to catch him if she, he does a trust fall because she's like demanding that he trust yeah. falls into her right after she like just yeah. runs up there and like trust falls i know i was like him. i was like oh <laughs> this is gonna be one of those moments where we have to suspend the disbelief that she actually catches that man oh my god yeah insane. but what was the line it was like that's what relationships are they are something respect and trust yeah, respect and admiration. And then respect, they realize together and that trust. because he says he respects and admires her and mm-hmm. she's like, Well, isn't that love? And he's like, No, that's respect and admiration. Yeah. And then they kind of suss out together that respect, admiration, and trust are what like equals love. Yeah. And I like I realize I was like, I subscribe to that. I'll subscribe. Sure. Like I also think it's just like some like zing like an intangible Right. also but right. i like the idea of that being love because like i don't think i always demand my love to respect and admire me <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna yeah i mean I, it was these were so i thought about that as well you know i was yeah. like okay yeah i mean i could live by those words you know yeah, it's like yeah. uh it's very clinical and but it still leaves room for romance too. Hell yeah! Especially I love the it. admiration part. Ooh, you sagging in the middle. I want to be admired. I don't know if I have been. I'm gonna think about that. Maybe I've occasionally. Been, occasionally uh, admired con, by con, my. I am constantly amours. admired. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they also say in this scene, they, uh, "Do you trust me?" And then uh, he says, if you trust, or I forget who said what, but the lines are, do you trust me? And then the other one says, if you trust me first. And I'm like, aren't we all going around and around in those circles? Like, yeah, totally. It's like, yeah. well, you know, I always me. trust like, first. You first. I'm, I always am the person that trusts first because I give everybody well, I, the benefit of the doubt. Oh, my God. I trust too loosely yeah until thoroughly proven wrong i'm like i'll trust you yeah me too but like yeah gross um yeah so i like that and it could have it could have been so goofy because like this trust fall is so you know it's used a lot oh my god yeah could you imagine like some shithead rebooting these and just making them like a Uh, like a new oh god it would be so gag you know it's like you could you could easily like fuck it up so hardcore just like turning them into like romantic comedies oh my god well these are like always described as dark comedies and i'm like there's no comedy played for laughs no not at all 
That's no. what makes it good. Yeah, that's what makes it good. I love these movies. Uh-huh. The Unbelievable Truth is one of those movies that, like, is a comfort movie for me. Like, I'll just put it uh-huh. on. Because you had seen it when? Yeah. When you were a teen? When I was a teen. And then, like, there was, like, time definitely mm-hmm. between it. But, like, since I saw it at the Metrograph, like, I'll put it on. It's on YouTube. Yeah. There's a copy. I rented it. I rented it from Casa. It's Casa weird. It's Video. not really available on a streaming service except for for free on YouTube. That's probably which is crazy. Has a lot to do I feel with like, him, with Hal Hartley and the ownership. Yeah, the he just hasn't struck a deal. But it's like I feel like. Um, well, he has them. They are available. Um, he did a Kickstarter, I think, for multiple. Oh, the new one. Mul- multiple um dvd releases dvd blu-ray releases like you can get the long island trilogy on his website like howhartley.com buy it Uh i got i started an amazon like fandor like on Mm -hmm. amazon they had like a fandor add-on for Mm -hmm. amazon prime video and i did that because there's like a bunch of his movies on there well shit now we like watch trust like fucking told everybody to go watch these and now they're gonna have to do some digging what's that now they're gonna have to do some digging we told all these people to go see this movie well i'm saying the unbelievable truth google it or youtube for free okay it's a good quality version too so yeah anyone can watch it highly accessible but then yeah like on fandor also and i know how hartley has been like a big kickstarter guy which is yeah. Staying true to his roots. Like, that's like the new indie film way. Right. He said his assistant did all that. He has a inter- whole interview about. Well, I hope that assistant got a good lunch that day. I mean, hopefully he got like what points? Yeah. Some percentage. Oh, That'd yeah. Nice. Yeah, that would be nice. So. But yeah. I'm going to be watching some Hal Hartley. Me too. Going forward. I want to watch. But what else have you been watching? So. Oh. I have. I just have like. I have unintentionally been preparing myself for the new Scream movie. Oh. Like. Huh. I just ended up watching all the Screams. Okay. Like over the past few weeks. Like, revisiting them for the first time in a really long time. And, like, I'd only seen the third one, like, one time and the fourth one, like, one time. And they're dumb, but, like, (laughs) also they're pretty amazing, too. Okay. You know? I, I think you'd have to nerd out in order to figure out why they're amazing. But the third one is my favorite. It's hilarious. Okay. That's could I the one. It? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, you could handle all of them. The fourth one has one really violent scene. Um but the rest of it is pretty standard like Ugh, stabbed you in the stomach. Um I saw the first one at the time. Yeah. Or uh, you know, close enough to the time. Sure. But like the third one is um in LA and they're making Stab 3 which is mm-hmm. the film franchise that's based on the Woodsboro murders. Oh, it's meta. <clears throat> yeah, it's totally meta. And um so basically the cast of scream are hanging out with the cast of stab who are supposed to be the people that are playing them in the movie. Oh my God. That's cool. And, um, you know, Courtney Cox plays Gail Weathers, the reporter chick. And, um, everybody says that she made a really bad bangs decision in that movie, but I really like her bangs. And, um, uh, Parker Posey plays her in the movie. 
So it's like oh. Parker Posey is playing Gail Weathers, but also trying to solve these murders with the actual Gail Weathers. And Parker Posey is so fucking funny. She I is so her. fucking funny in that movie. Like she makes that movie uh, way better, way mm-hmm. better. But that one's my favorite. Okay. And now I'm like after work, I'm I'm just I'm gonna get off of work and I'm just gonna go to the mall and I'm gonna go see the new one. And I'm gonna it's sit out, as like when? it's coming Come on. out on Friday. Oh cool. I'm just gonna go see it on opening day. Why not? I haven't done anything like that in a long time. I'm gonna sit as far away from every motherfucker as I possibly can with like five masks on. <laughs> Oh, I want to go to the movies. Now I've had COVID, I can go. Yeah. (laughs) I bought some time, some antibodies time. So that's what I've been doing, watching the screams. It's fun. It's so fun. I love seeing people get murdered. It's fun. That's like a project. Yeah. Cool. Maybe I'll try. I didn't mean to. It just happened. That's even better. Yeah. It's like you're just feeling it. Not yeah. Not forcing it. Uh-huh. Cool. Well, what about you? I've been watching... What have I been watching? Oh, I watched all of Search Party, the new season, last season. Haven't seen that yet. Oh, I love it so much. Season three is my favorite, but I really liked how they closed out season five, and I feel like I'm going to say that I loved it, but I... like. It's so easy, like, that show is too easy to spoil, and, like, I do think, like, normally I don't care about, I personally don't care about spoilers. I don't, like, spoil things for other people, but, like, I can know everything that happens in a thing, and I will still watch it and enjoy it. Like, it doesn't matter. In fact, sometimes it helps me. My, Mm -hmm. like, anxiety brain likes to have, like, seen things before. Okay, yeah. So if I have spoilers, I'm, like, kind of into that, but... So I watched all of that when I had COVID. Um, I watched The Lost Daughter, and it blew me away. I have not been this affected by a movie in I don't know how long. It's Maggie Gyllenhaal directed it. It's starring yep. Olivia Colman uh, and Dakota Johnson. I love like the setting of it. I cannot recommend it highly enough. I think it's fucking brilliant, and it like, especially I think for like women contemplating motherhood Uh it gets at like the core of this thing that's like whichever direction you choose there are things that suck about it yeah you know like it kind of like it's an unsoothing movie that soothed me because it's like okay yeah this is a really hard path and this is what you'll actually feel about it in a way that I've never heard described before. And I think it's really an important movie, but I also just think it's a great movie. Like, I think Maggie Gyllenhaal is it. I can't wait to see, like, what else she does. Yes. Cool. Like, I'm, like, blown away. And then I watched uh, The Power of the Dog, which is a Western with Kirsten Dunst, and I always forget his name, her in real life, like baby daddy uh jesse plemons who's always good and i've like been in to him since uh friday night lights like he's always a great actor oh yeah and kirsten dunst is fucking incredible i love her so much she's they're acting their asses off and it's uh benedict cumberbatch is like a real dick cool it's a a great movie too It's, the, and it's, uh, I love yeah. a Western and I love like what the direction Westerns have been going in, like in the last 10 years, like there's been a shit ton of good Westerns. I am into it, but those are both on Netflix. So that's cool. And then yeah. my new thing, I've been trying to get back on like a real work schedule post holidays and COVID and all this. I started an exciting new job next week and like, I'm whatever gonna and I'm gonna be working like nine to five in an office which I have not done in a very long time uh, but I'm trying to get on like a schedule even now and in life 
where yeah. I'm like, I have a bad habit of like working all night and like not having really a schedule, like procrastinating yeah. part of the morning, working sporadically, whatever. But like, I'm trying to get on like a really smooth schedule and my way to like treat myself at the end of it is going to be like watching the new season of that uh, docu-series, uh, Cheer. Did you watch that? No. What is that? I love the first season. I feel like season. I know. Oh. I watched it like three times. Right, 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 right. Like cheerleaders. Cheerleading. Just yeah, cheer, yeah. it's called. Just cheer. But I'm like, okay, I all day I've been thinking about it like when I was doing research for the podcast and when I was like drawing for clients, I was like, okay. And then like <laughs> yeah. when today is done, you're going to watch an episode of cheer and then you're going to oh. go to bed. <laughs> you're like accidentally drawing cheerleaders. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I even have the bad habit. I'll like put something that I've been looking forward to watching on like in the background and I like yeah. half watch it ruin it for like a rewatch because i've like sort of seen it right like yeah i like need to figure out like this is when you unwind and this is when you work instead of the two constantly bleeding into each other yeah it's a problem schedules are are important that's what they say that's what they say i am gonna figure it out even like eating dinner at a time is a difficult task to me so we'll see how it goes oh and you're paul and people can find you on instagram at you don't want to go in there that's right caroline at womanhood (laughs) on instagram and we are release underscore pod and we are also on the internet at www.release.pictures yeah um, where there will be like all kinds of things we're working on it you can see yeah it's like updated um we are working on the our second season which is the 1930s the golden age of hollywood um but I think we want to get, like, a bunch in the can before we start releasing. But Yeah. And I think we still want to, like, explore the 20s with some artwork, potentially. So we're, like, and making those episodes. But we'll be doing minis. Don't worry. We'll be doing minis. And also we'll be posting what we will be, what we're watching in the 1930s. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. that you can prepare yourself for the 1930s. Mm-hmm. And... When yeah. you listen to us, you can be like, you fucking hacks. I watched that movie and that's not at all what happened. If you yeah. want. I disagree with yeah. your take on Matahari. Yeah. Which is a movie from our 30s season. Yeah. Okay. Enjoy okay. your life. Cool. <laughs> enjoy. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye.